0: The Tanya of Rabbi Schneer Zalman of Liadi, taught by Rabbi Ben-Zion Krasniansky. Tanya's text elucidated by Rabbi Yosef Weinberg.
1: Fourth essay.
2: <laughs>
1: this is the last part of the Tanya, the fifth part. We are in essay number four. Uh, We have the whole entire Tanya on tanyaclass.com, page 295. Basically, one of the revolutionary insights of the Kabbalah, the Arizal, greatest Kabbalist that ever lived, that he explains the whole purpose of our life in this world is to elevate the sparks. You know, when God created the world, First, he created the world of chaos, which were very intense lights. But the vessels could not contain this intensity and the vessels shattered and broke. It was a breakdown. And then came the world of of mending, of healing, of fixing, correcting. And these intense lights, these sparks, that fell as a result of the shattering of the vessels. So these holy sparks fell into the lower world, and especially in the, physical, in the physical world, the physicality and the density materialism of this world, we have the highest sparks. And the Jews' mission in life is to elevate these sparks, redeem them, return them back to their source, release them from their imprisonment, And when you release and reunite the sparks back to the source, this elevation draws down a new revelation, a much deeper revelation, even a higher revelation, a greater revelation of God. Now, how do we elevate the sparks? This is the purpose of Torah mitzvah. When you do a mitzvah, you take the physical object, the physical object of the mitzvah, which is the physical, material object of this world. And you take it, and you do a mitzvah with it, you're elevating the spark, you're releasing the spark. So that is one of the primary ways of elevating the sparks. But there are, other two, there are another two ways how we elevate the spark. By fulfilling the mitzvah, but also by studying the Torah. When we study the Torah, by studying the Torah, we're elevating these sparks. We're fulfilling our life's mission. We are bringing mending and healing to the world. We're connecting, reconnecting the sparks. And then there's a third way, how we elevate the sparks. And that is through prayer. So in this essay, which is the most intense and longest essay of them all, al Rebbe is going to explain the advantage of each of these methods, each of these approaches. There's the advantage of prayer, and that's what he begins with how we elevate the sparks through prayer. Then there are advantages of doing the mitzvah, the physical mitzvah, the physicality of doing the mitzvah and studying the, the Torah that relates to the mitzvah, the alachat that are uh, discuss the mitzvah and then the uh, elevation, the advantages of the elevation that comes about through the studying of Torah. Each one is unique, each one is different and each one bring something new and something different to the equation. So he begins with prayer. Just like the day. A Jew's day begins with prayer. That's the first order of the day. Without prayer, prayer is what centers us, prayer is what focuses us, prayer is what connects us. And then we can go further. So so he starts out.
3: To understand the statement and create time, That in the contemporary period, the refinement of the sparks of Tohu is primarily affected by prayer, as explained above, the task of sifting the materiality of this world and salvaging its hidden holy sparks is the ongoing mission of Jews living as souls within bodies in this physical world. This is accomplished either, A, through the performance of the action-oriented mitzvot, which entailed the use of physical objects whose life force derives from klipot Noga, B, through the audibly articulated study of Torah subjects that deal with physical matters, C. through prayer a form of spiritual service through which the divine soul influences and refines the animal soul whose life force derives from sleep by noga to the point that it can attain a love of Hashem. As stated above, Priyats Chaim teaches that in these last generations the extraction and elevation of sparks is effected primarily through prayer.
1: So the question is, why only in our day? He says, today, in our day and age, in the latter generations, the extraction, elevation of sparks affected primarily through prayer. What do you mean? Yes, Dalta Tarebi will explain later on in one of the essays that in the olden days, in the times of the First Temple, for example, they didn't really need prayer. They didn't, have to, they didn't have long prayers, a very short prayer. They said the Shema, and it was enough. Because they were such lofty souls, they were able to accomplish quickly, swiftly, in one, one moment. They focused, they concentrated, they immediately were centered and focused. They didn't need the length. For us, it takes an hour just to get our attention, <laughs> just to remove all the distractions, just to be able to start delving into something, focusing and concentrating into something, you know we're so distracted we're so discombobulated we're all over we're so scattered we're all over the place that we can't even focus so it takes time for us just to get immersed into something so we need time we need a whole process they didn't need that in one second they focused they concentrated and they were there they were ready they got it they were connected so according to this they also needed prayer the only difference is that then they did it quickly And today we need more time. So why does the Alter Rebbe say, the Rebbe asked, why does the Alter Rebbe say that in today's day and age, the main refinement is through prayer? They also needed the refinement of prayer, but it was done quickly. So the Rebbe gives two possible explanations. One explanation is that that's what he means. He means the main refinement that we have to spend so much time only today, that we have to spend so much time and prayer to achieve that refinement. Prayer is essential in all times, in all ages, all generations. But in those days, they were able to do it quickly. And today, we need to spend so much time and effort and energy on it. It takes up a great part of our day. But then the Rebbe says, "But that's not this literal meaning what the Rebbe says. The Rebbe seems to say that only in today's day and age is that the main service of sifting through the uh, the sparks through the prayer. In the olden days not. And the truth is, during the First Temple there was no prayer. The whole institution of prayer began with the rabbis of the Great Assembly. According to Nachmanides there was no prayers in the First Temple. Even according to Maimonides that there's an obligation to pray a biblical obligation for each and every Jew to pray every day. And this began at Sinai. But prayer could be a, a, a moment. Hello, Hashem. Thank you. You're praised. This is what I need. Thank you for everything you're giving me. It could be, you say it in your own language. It could be a five-second thing, a ten-second thing, a thirty-second thing. It's not... Every day, you talk to Hashem, you say hello, thank you, and you do what you have to do. So it's not, but it's not prayer like we have it today. Prayer, there's a set prayer, and we pray. So indeed, they didn't need prayer. They didn't need this. They had that connection. They were on call all the time, they were tuned in all the time. How did they connect? I mean, uh, just... it, it came naturally, it came instinctively. You know, it's like the difference between. Are you it's like, it's like the, 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 the blessings, the hundred blessings. So it says the rabbis, the great assembly, instituted the hundred blessings. Even though it says elsewhere that King David instituted the hundred blessings. But the blessings as we know them were instituted by the rabbis. The prayers, 19 blessings, 18 blessings in the prayer Shmone Esrei, three times a day, that's the bulk of the hundred blessings. So that was only the rabbis of the great assembly. Before that, they didn't have blessings. There was no blessings. You sat down to eat. You ate. The only blessing was the biblical blessing: v'chalta, v'savato, v'ra'acha. If you eat bread, after you're done and you're full, you thank Hashem. You didn't have all these blessings before you eat, and why did the rabbis institute all these blessings later on? But the difference is, you know, it's like a difference between our regular children and our special needs children. You know, re- regular children, they, they just instinctively, they, they, they pick things up. With these special needs children, with our special needs children, you have to make a point of pointing everything out. Everything becomes a learning opportunity. You stop. Pause. This is the, you have to point everything out. Make everything into a learning experience. While with regular children, it just comes naturally. You don't have to sit and point everything out. They just get it. Instinctively, they just, yeah, they understand it. They feel it. They get it. They feel their way. They find their way and they understand. With a special needs child, you have to like hold it, push his face and say, look, stop, pay attention and make everything into a teaching moment. That's the difference, spiritually speaking. During the times of the first temple, we were like, like spiritually, regular. We, we, the soul was so in tune, was so in touch, that naturally, instinctively, we sense godliness. Of course, Hashem is our Creator. Hashem is constantly creating us. We're, we see Hashem in everything. A Jew went to the temple three times a year, and many more times, and every time you saw godliness, you felt godliness. So you didn't have to stop a hundred times a day and, you know. But then when, with the descent of the generation, during the second temple, they were on a much lower level. We became like spiritually retarded. Yeah. And now you have to stop. You go to the bathroom, stop. You know what kind of miracle it is? That your digestive system works and your, your everything, all your systems of elimination work. Realize the miracle of the body. A hundred trillion cells, you know what a body is. You're a walking miracle. We don't stop, we don't think. We take it for granted. Mother Nature comes the blessings and points your head. You have a cup of water. Do you realize the miracle of this cup of water? You think the splitting of the sea is a miracle. The splitting of the sea is nothing in comparison to the miracle of this cup of water. So stop for a moment and stop and think and be aware and thank Hashem. Don't take anything for granted. So we are like the special needs child that has to be taught. Everything has to become a teaching moment, a teaching opportunity. And even then... (laughs) I'm not sure if we're getting the lesson, learning the lesson. So they didn't need prayer. They didn't need it, because they were naturally, constantly, in tune, connected, instinctively. It was like it was like at the tip of their finger, of course, it was natural. Obviously. You have to spell it out, when if have to be spelled out, it's, it's of course. So the Rebbe says, it's only today, in today's day and age, when it's so thick. When we are so thick and the world has become so thick and coarse and crass and doesn't let the light through and doesn't let the light penetrate and things are so distorted. that You need prayer. This is our way of sifting through and clarifying the good from the evil. When you have a world where Iceland wants to ban conversion, bris. Not conversion, but it's circumcision. Can you imagine? But I don't think it passed yet. It didn't yet become law yet.
3: They're considering. They're working, they're considering. They're working
1: very hard on it. So I think I think Iceland, if I'm not mistaken, gay marriage is okay. You can do whatever you want there with that organ. But God forbid you should circumcise. I mean, this is insanity. This is the insanity of the world we live in. All in the name of humanity. We're not going to allow that Jew to circumcise his child to connect with God because it's not you hum- it's cruel on the trial in the name of humanitarianism that that's the joke. So th- this is all this is the we live in such a world such a dark world.
2: Poland too, there's, there's yeah. Yeah. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Such an evil world, such a dark world that's so crooked, that's so distorted, that's so bent out of shape, that's so upside down. Everything is literally upside down. We need prayer. <laughs> prayer. If you don't have prayer, if you don't have that connection to something greater than yourself, you don't, you don't even stand a chance. How are you going to be able to sift through what's right, what's wrong, what's true, what's false, what's good, what's evil, what's crooked, what's straight, light and darkness. Everything is upside down. Everything is twisted, distorted. So in today's day and age. When it doesn't come naturally and it doesn't come instinctively, we need prayer. Prayer is the main, the main way how we achieve refinement and we're able to sift through the truth and find the truth and sift through right from wrong. But the question is,
2: even though Torah study is superior to prayer, Torah study is equivalent to them all, to all the mitzvot and higher even than concentration and prayer. Why then is the extraction of the sparks of tohu mainly accomplished in the present day two prayer?
1: Like we learned yeah. earlier, that yes, e- right. Rabbi Rab- Shimon BaYechai, great rabbis, didn't need to pray because they their whole occupation was Torah. So prayer is the equivalent of all the mitzvot, and is superior to prayer. So if Torah is superior to prayer, how can the how can the Kabbalah write? How can the Arizal write? and say that the main service today is prayer not Torah when Torah is so much greater than prayer what is special about prayer what is the power of prayer that we don't find not with Torah study and not with the performance of a mitzvah something that's unique to prayer and here we're talking about the effect that prayer has on this world. The effect that prayer has on our physical, material world. We're discussing here the elevation of the sparks, to be able to sift through the sparks, the effect and impact that prayer has. So what's the power of prayer? What's unique about prayer? That prayer has such an effect in this world, like nothing else, even more powerful than Torah, even more powerful than doing the mitzvot. What is it about prayer? And that's the point Dr. is going to say now. The explanation is,
2: the explanation is that through Torah and mitzvot, additional light is drawn forth into The Divine light is drawn forth into the various worlds, either in accordance with Sod Shulesh, the principle of the root, the degree of revelation originally apportioned, or in accordance with Sod Tosfet, the principle of addition. Depending on the spiritual service of mortals, the additional measure of revelation is much greater than the base allocation. Through Torah and mitzvah, as stated above, one draws down an additional measure of divine illumination into the world of our uh,
1: So everything, the way Hashem created the world, that from the moment of creation, from when Adam was created, man was created, God became interactive. Everything that happens in the universe, we are in the driver's seat. It all depends on us. So God created the world. It was a full world, a complete world. Everything has its apportioned energy, divine energy, including the world of emanation. But if you want to add to that energy, you want to add to that light in order to add, that depends on us. If we study Torah, we do a mitzvah, we add a, a new revelation, a new divine revelation in the world of emanation. So by us studying Torah in this world... We're drawing down and we're adding a new flow of energy, a new divine flow, a new revelation in the highest realms. So we are raising the heavens. We are elevating the heavens. When you study Torah, you're elevating the heavens. You're elevating it to a new height as a result of our Torah study.
4: This means that uh, through Torah study, the infinite ends of light is drawn into the inner aspect of the vessels of the siot of Atsilut. This is a drawing down of the divine intellect. Echo calls for a corresponding elevation of the divine intellect, which is the inward aspect of the sea.
1: So since God is interactive, and we are created image of God, so whatever we do is reflected by Hashem. So when we engage our mind which is our internal and deepest ability, our mind. When we engage our mind in the studying of Torah, this evokes a response from Hashem that is a revelation of the divine mind. An internal divine flow, a new revelation, a new insight, a new, a new level of the divine, elevating the divine intellect to a whole new height, a whole new depth, a whole new level. That's when we study Torah.
4: To mitzvah observance, the light is drawn into the external aspect of the vessels, meaning netzach, pod, yesod, of the ten yod of ZA, the six emotive attributes of Tzad.
1: So again, we are created an image of Hashem. Just like you have the person, you have the essence of the person, right? Which is your brain, your heart, your body. Then you have the external part of the person, your legs, which is netzach, the right leg is your left leg, is the male organ. So these are all external, outside the body. So when you do a mitzvah, you're doing it with your physical arms, you're doing the mitzvah, you're doing an action. When you're studying Torah, it's internal. It's your mind. You're engaging your mind. So the effect that you have is also on the internal level of the Svirot, the divine mind, so to speak. You're adding and increasing and elevating the divine mind to a whole new, a whole new level. When you do a mitzvah, you're adding light and divine flow of energy to the external levels of the ten sefirot, which are the attributes of netzach, hoid, and yisot.
4: Zah is a configuration, of barzuch, halit, continents, which comprises a full complement of ten sefirot into the netzach, hoid, yisot. The lower sefirot, which are outside of the torso. Of zah and tus, comprise its external aspect the infinite and soft light is drawn, drawn down by means of those mitzvot that are performed with immense power of action. For so this power is external to man's essence, just as netzach, chod, yesod are external to zah. The infinite lights from divine intellect that are drawn down by Torah and mitzvot are both
1: invested primarily in atzimot. So the primary effect of our Torah is felt where. In the highest world, in the world, in the divine world of emanation, in the world of unity, in the divine realms, you're creating all sorts (laughs) of fireworks going on, but it's only felt in the highest realms. In this world, we don't see the fireworks, we don't see the effect. We have a little trickle-down effect.
0: They later only clothe themselves with diminished intensity in Uriah, in and Nasiyah, and the physical Torah and mitzvah in this world. The divine yola that is drawn down into Atsilu is ultimately vested within the Torah of this world, while the divine light, which is drawn into the externality of the vessels of of Atsilu, is vested within the mitzvah of this world. The effect th- is thus strictly within the material aspect of the Torah and mitzvah of this world, and not within the materiality of the world itself. Prayer, however, calls forth the infinite end-soaked light into bria, yachira, and asiyah directly, and not by means of mere enclosure as is the case with the study of Torah where the divine light is God and an entity which in turn is drawn down into this world.
1: When you do study Torah and do mitzvot, yes, this light, this light that you draw down, that you affect, this increased light that you cause in the upper realms, it encloses itself in the Torah that you're learning in the mitzvot that you do. So, there's a divine energy. When you do a mitzvah, there's a divine energy. When you study Torah, there's a divine energy in that studying of Torah in the mitzvah that you're doing. But you don't see the effect in the physical world. There's no fireworks in this world. But when you pray, miracles happen, change happens in the physical world. Someone is sick, the doctors give up hope, and next thing you know, he outlives his doctors.
0: Is it the power of prayer because you're doing it as a group also? A group of Jews is That, that,
1: that amplifies, that amplifies the prayer. Even the power of prayer of one person, but it's amplified uh, so much more so when it's done in a group, like we learned in the fourth part of the Tanya, letter number 23, great length, the power of a group, a minion. But the power of prayer, prayer affects change, as we say in the prayer bless me, bless me, I need financial help. I'm checkmated. And Hashem answers our prayers. Next thing you know, it just, the obstacles dissolve, miracles happen. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that takes
3: time.
1: Well, we, gotta lear- we learned already earlier, it depends how we pray. <laughs> no, Prayer that gets stuck, yeah, in, that right, gets stuck right. in the shul, that go nowhere, they're flat. They never made it. They were never delivered. You have to have prayers that are delivered, that are elevated, that are done with heartfelt prayer. We're gonna learn in a moment, how do you affect that? What kind of prayer we're talking about? They're not talking about the typical uh, synagogue experience, you know, where people race through the davening and it's a bullet, speed bullet train, and it's, it's, it's. Like,
0: um, you know, um, Jacob and- uh, Isaac, say, and all of that, yeah. there were still obstacles in their
1: life. Yeah, but their, I mean, their prayers were answered. They prayed and the prayers were answered. Powerful. Prayers are very powerful. We're not wasting our time. We're praying to Hashem and asking Hashem for health and asking Hashem for all the things that we need. And prayers are answered. Now, still obstacles. Yes, but yeah. it, depends, it depends how you pray. It depends who's praying. It depends how you pray. No, but the idea of prayer is, Hashem tells us it's a commandment. When you have a need, you pray. Because you expect the prayer could, you could have the answer to your prayers. How, how, did, how is that prayer answered? It's a miracle. It's an open intercession from Hashem. You can't explain it naturally. The doctor says you're, you're, it's over. Financially, you're stuck. It's checkmated. All the doors are closed. There's nothing I can do. I pray. And next thing you know, miraculously, it just cleared up. I go forward. means Hashem answered my prayer. And how does Hashem answer my prayer? You can see that response physically. Something physically happened. Something physically changed. Something opened up. It's not just the spiritual fireworks. It's fireworks in the divine world of emanation. The fireworks are here. You pray and inexplicably, a miracle happened. Something happened. I don't know how. Something opened up. Something, a door opened up. Hashem answered my prayer. We prayed hard and Hashem answered the prayer. He prayed for rain. It was a drought. And especially in the olden days, when it was a drought, it was a danger, you were in danger of starving to death. And Hashem answered the prayer. Whatever, whatever it is in your life, we have all the prayers, all the blessings, praying for different things. And Hashem responds to our prayers. Miracles happen. So it's a direct intervention. God is intervening in this physical world. In this coarse, crass, gross, materialistic world that seems to be the antithesis of godliness. A place that's so ice. It's an ice land. Ice freezing cold. Not an ounce iota of warmth. of, Of life. Of godliness, of holiness, of truth, of purity. Of wholesomeness, of elevation. And in this world, suddenly miracles happen. Things start changing, things start moving. You see Hashem's direct intervention physically. You can see it with a naked eye. This is what's unique to prayer. You don't see it anywhere else. I can study Torah all my life. I don't see the physical change or effect of that Torah study. I know and I believe. I know that studying Torah is holy. I know that I believe that the effect of the Torah is having, gives Hashem tremendous pleasure, and, 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 and it's, it's creating fireworks in the world of emanation, and, and something trickles down in my Torah study. When I do a mitzvah, I know it's something holy, and something godly. But physically, I don't see any change in this physical world. But when you pray, and Hashem answers your prayers, it reinforces your faith like nothing else. It's one thing you're studying Torah out of faith. You do mitzvot out of faith. But when you pray and your prayers are answered, you see Hashem's direct intervention. Is there anything more powerful than that? That hits home? That Hashem. That this is for real? That God is real? And He's real here and now and me and I in this world right now, present? In the year 2018 on the Upper East Side, this is as real as it gets. This is real. It's happening. When There's nothing as powerful as prayer. When Hashem answers our prayers, it hits home. So powerful. It's so immediate. It's so actual. It's so real that, that it just wakes you up. You can be asleep. You can be unconscious, but it just wakes you up. But this is real. There's a God in this world. This is not some abstract, concept. This is reality. It becomes a living, breathing reality. That's the power of prayer. There's nothing else in Judaism, not Torah, not mitzvot, that has such a powerful effect as prayer. Such an immediate, actual, tangible, physical effect as prayer. That can change this world. Physically change this world. We consider Tehillim prayer? Absolutely. David requested that when you say Tilim it should also be considered like studying Torah and studying the most difficult parts of the Torah, the laws of leprosy and the laws of impurity. But first and foremost, it's, uh, it's prayer.
5: Rather, it is the actual life which modifies the state of created beings so that, for example, the ill will be cured through the petition of us in the Shemona Esrei, And the rain from heaven will fall to the earth so that it becomes fertile and yields vegetation in response to the prayer of the blessing of the years.
2: In other words, all
1: our prayers for financial success, that's the prayer of the ninth prayer, please uh, bless the earth. That's really praying, the one single prayer that we're praying for all our financial success.
5: These are changes effected within the actual physical world. This is not the case with Torah and Mitzvah. No modification in the parchment on which are inscribed the biblical passages of the Kathilid results from their being placed upon head and arms, notwithstanding the drawing down of divine light and the subordination of mind and heart to the divine will.
1: So when you do a mitzvah, you're not changing. There's no recognizable change in the physical object of the mitzvah. I put on tfilin. So, firstly, you prepare the tfilin. The tfilin is already ready. You put it on. There's no difference before you put it on in the tfilin. You don't see any difference in the physical boxes of the tfilin before you put it on, after you put it on. Even in your hand. Of course, you can't compare a hand that put on tefillin to a hand arm that didn't put on tefillin. You don't see it. You can't. Com- you don't see any nothing. The hand you don't see a change in the hand. You don't surely don't see a change in the tefillin. And he says whether it's the first he mentions putting on the tefillin in the head, even though first he put the tefillin in the arm. Why does he say first putting on the tefillin in the head and then the arm? The tefillin in the arm is passive. You're just putting it on your head. But even putting the tefillin in the arm, we actually tie the tefillin. You tie the knot, you, you tighten the knot. Even there, you're doing an action, but there's no physical change in the box or your arm. So yes, you know and you believe that something changed. Something magical happens when you put on tefillin. Something miraculous, something godly, divine. Fireworks are going on. But I don't see it. <laughs> I can feel it's sacred, it's holy, but I don't see any change. The arm looks the same. We surely look the same. <laughs> and the tvilin looks the same. Nothing changed.
5: Even in the case of those mitzvahs that are fulfilled through making the object. Examples would be the writing of a Torah scroll in making a sukkah, according to the opinions that the actual construction of a sukkah is a mitzvah. Unlike the in where the mitzvah is performed by wearing them and not by making them. These mitzvahs are performed by modifying the relevant object.
1: So he's saying that there are there are different mitzvahs. There are mitzvahs which you prepare the tefillin, you make the tefillin, and it's done. Then you have to wear the tefillin. But then there are mitzvahs that you're creating a chain. That's how you do the mitzvah. You're writing a Torah scroll. So by physically writing the Torah scroll, you're doing the mitzvah. You are physically changing. You're doing the mitzvah. You're fulfilling the mitzvah by making a change. You're creating a Torah scroll. Or the bris. You're cutting and you're doing the mitzvah. So you, are, you do see a change as a result of the mitzvah. The mitzvah is to make a change, to cut the, to cut the bris. Or to write the Torah, I'm creating a Torah scroll, so I do see a physical change. The mitzvah is creating a physical change, I see a Torah scroll.
5: Nevertheless, the change within the object is affected by men and not by heaven, as is the case with prayer. When an individual succeeds in bringing about a change in the world through prayer, e.g., the sick person becomes well, this change is ultimately brought about from above, not by the individual's prayer.
1: So when you do the mitzvah, yes, you're making a change, a physical change in the object. You're turning it into a Torah scroll. You're, you're cutting the, the bris. But that's man-made. That's something that you're doing. The point of prayer, when Hashem enters your prayer, when Hashem answers your prayer, it's, it's purely divine. It's obvious that it's a divine intervention. You, you can't even delude yourself that you have anything to do with it. It's a purely divine act. Hashem answered your prayer and He interfered and He interceded and responded and then you see something physical shift, something physical change. You see a change. Suddenly, things change. The person is healed. The person now is successful. Whatever it is that you prayed for. Whatever area you were stuck or checkmated in your life, and then you see the response. You see the prayer, prayer is successful. So that's the miracle of prayer. That's unique to prayer. You don't see that any, anywhere else in life. Only prayer could affect such a powerful response.
5: For this calls forth the vivifying power from the infinite one, blessed be He, who alone is all capable. It is only God who can effect a change such as this in our world, bringing about the pure or the
1: productive way. So this is the greatest revelation of Hashem. Hashem reveals His infinite potential, that Hashem could do anything. Hashem is not limited. You can't straitjacket, it. Because let's not forget, if someone is suffering from something, if someone is, finds himself in a certain situation, who put you there in the first place? Hashem put you Everything He does is for a reason. So obviously, according to the laws of the universe that He set up, this is a necessity. You have to go through this. There is no other way. Do you think if there was any other way, you would have to pray? If God forbid a parent has has to operate on their child to save their life, has to amputate their child. God forbid. Do you think if there was any other way to save the child without amputation, you think the parent would amputate his own child? The child is to plead, please don't amputate my leg. God forbid. If there was any other way, (laughs) you think I would? there's no other way, I'm saving your life, I have no choice. So according to the rules of the universe, the way God set it up, if you have to go through something This is part of the... Then there is no other way. If there was any other way, even without your prayer, before you prayed, Hashem would never have allowed you to go through this. So if He's allowing you to go through this, and He's your loving parent, and He feels your pain, He's suffering more than you are. Obviously, there's no other way. So what are you praying? What are you asking for? This is the loving thing. Whatever Hashem does is loving and kind and good even if we don't experience it at the moment, we can't understand it or feel it at the moment. That's the truth. That's faith. And that's why you're praying. You have faith in God. So if you have faith, and God is running this world, and He knows what He's doing, and He's involved and engaged in every single detail of your life, and He feels your pain more than you do, so what are you praying for? It's already good. Whatever It's good. God knows what He's doing. You're doubting God? You don't think He knows what He's doing? You have to remind them? (laughs) You don't think he's doing a good job? With three great rabbis, Alter Rebbe and two of his colleagues they were once discussing. One said, if I were God, I would shut down all the hospitals. Enough of the hospitals. Especially here in the Upper East Side, we have the largest concentration of world-class hospitals in the world. Enough suffering, and I would shut them all down. And the other one said... I think that was that was Rabbi Levi and another one. I think Rabbi Zusha Anipols says, "If I were God, I would make everyone rich. Enough poverty, enough tzedes." And Alter Rebbe said, "If I were God, I would do exactly what God is doing, <laughs> because I would know why He's doing it." <laughs> you know, the secrets of this world—only God knows the secrets of the world. The secrets of the Torah He shared with us. Alter Rebbe says. We say in the Davenik, only God knows the secrets of the world. The secrets of the Torah, he, He shared with us. But the secrets of the world, how He runs this world, only God knows. Only God can figure it out and knows exactly down to the slightest detail. Everything is so precise and perfect even though we don't understand it, and we don't feel it. So what are you praying for? Make up your mind. You believe in God, that's why you're praying to God. People complain, why did this terrible thing happen? How can God do this? Well, if you don't believe in God, what are you complaining? There's nothing to complain. You heard what the doctor said, the car, engine died. The person's heart went out, finished, the car died, the engine stopped. Well, what, what are you complaining? You're complaining because you have faith in God. You believe in God. You know nothing just happens. The engine died. What kind of nonsense is that? There's a God in this world. Everything happens for a reason. So you're angry at God. How can you do this? Why did this happen? So... It's based on faith. If you don't have faith, what are you complaining? There's no one to complain to and there's nothing to complain about. God is helpless. What, what do you want from poor God? He's just as helpless as you are. But if you, you are complaining because you know God is not helpless, God is the all-powerful, all-knowing, and all and he's running this world and he's engaged and involved every tiny the slightest detail, a hundred trillion cells, every single detail. So, I'm compl- so you cry out to God. You're praying because you believe in God. So if you believe in God, so God knows what he's doing. What do you want? What do you want from my life? But the answer is because we believe that God is a kol yohal. That's the term we he uses here. God could do anything. God is not straitjacketed, Even by his own rules and even by the universe that he created because he created these rules and he created this universe and all these laws of the universe. There's no such thing as impossible. Who says this? there's no such thing as impossible? That word doesn't exist. For God himself, his essence, there's no, nothing that's impossible. So prayer is based on the ultimate trust and the ultimate faith in Hashem. You have so much trust and faith in Hashem, I turn to Hashem and I say, Yes, I know it's impossible. Because if it were possible, even without my prayer, you wouldn't even have to need my prayer. You would already do everything in a good way. But I'm turning to you because you are God. You can do the impossible. And not only the end result should be good, but even the means, how we get there, should also be good and pleasant. How? It's impossible? No. You're God. Figure it out. You can do it. And it's your faith and trust that creates the miracle. God responds. If you have such a level of faith in Hashem, If you have such a level of trust in Hashem that He can do anything and He is not limited and you connect with Hashem with such a powerful prayer and such a powerful faith and trust, all bets are off. Literally, the impossible can happen. Miracles can happen. And you see that response. You see it tangibly. You see it physically. And there's no other explanation. It's clear. You prayed. The community prayed. The Jewish people prayed and God responded. Suddenly it started raining, suddenly the person is healed, suddenly this miracle happens, that miracle happens, this breakthrough, that breakthrough, the other breakthrough. It's a clear response from Hashem Himself. Directly. It's not hiding, it's not being shoot. it's not concealed, it's not concealed, it's open, revealed. God's infinite self, his infinite essence is openly revealed. Physically, in this physical world, here and now, actually, right, me, now, here, in 2018, right, here and now. Visibly. No clothing, no hiding, no concealment. An open and obvious miracle. This is the power of prayer. Only prayer. There's nothing else like prayer. In its effect on this world that gives you such a strong faith in Hashem. When you see your prayers being answered, is there anything that draws you, that you feel more closer and more connected and you see how Hashem is so obvious and so real? That's how you elevate the sparks. You see the change of this world. It becomes a different world. You look at this world differently. You'll never look at this world the same. This world is not a jungle world is God's world. And you'll leave your life accordingly. You'll live your life accordingly. You'll live a wholesome life, a godly life, a Jewish life. You'll act like a Jew, speak like a Jew, and think like a Jew. Because I've seen Hashem. I've seen Hashem. Here. Not in heaven. Here. Now. Personal. So such a personal response How do you get such a personal response from Hashem? How could you get... That's what he's going to discuss next. How do you get such a personal, powerful response from Hashem? So he's going to explain, since Hashem is interactive, it only comes if it's person to person. It has to come from a powerful prayer. Prayer is also very deeply personal. It's a personal... It's us lifting ourselves up to Hashem. It's us... Stirring, a very powerful stirring of our soul. Something very deep. It's not formula. Prayer is not just formula. It's not just mouthing words. Prayer, which is just mouthing words, goes nowhere. That we already learned earlier in the previous essays. That's stuck in neutral and goes nowhere and does nothing. And then we wonder why our prayers don't get answered because it never got it, it never went anywhere. That's not the prayer we're talking about. We're not talking about formulas here. We're talking about a prayer that's deeply personal, that's earth-shattering, that stirred your soul, that shook you up in the most beautiful way possible and created a personal connection with Hashem, a feeling for Hashem, an outpouring of your soul, of your being to Hashem. Would you care? You know, caring is not the type of thing you can legislate. You can't legislate someone to care. But it's something that's deeply personal person is not a robot. I can do things, robotically. I can say things robotically. I can think things robotically. I can even understand things, but it's detached. I can even feel things, but it's superficial. But then there's something that touches your soul. It's personal. It engages me, my whole being. It's not a detail. It's not an aspect. It's me. I am connected. I care. Who is the I that cares? My whole being cares. It's not a detail. It's not just an emotion. A de- a sli- a sm- it's, it's my core. It's my essence. So when, the, when your relationship with Hashem, when something stirs up in prayer, that evokes a response from Hashem. Hashem responds in kind. It's also personal. And when Hashem responds in kind, Hashem stirs, so to speak. His infinite self stirs. All rules and laws fall by the wayside. All limitations fall by the wayside. Nature, not nature, all falls by the wayside. And miracles happen. Open miracles, obvious miracles, tangible miracles, the blessings. All the blessings of the prayer. Our prayers are answered tangibly, instantly, materially, and physically.
3: Therefore, calling forth the infinite ein Light into the lower world is impossible without the prior elevation of own Dukram, specifically from below, whereby the mortal recipient initiates the an anticipatory arousal from below to his spiritual service during prayer. As the Altar Rebbe will soon explain, since this entails an infinite degree of service on the part of man, it is able to draw down infinite response from above reciprocating each individual's particular arousal from below. This is not the case with the study of Torah, which affects the tilut, for the Torah is united in any case with the emanator. Since Torah study thus does not need to be drawn down below, there is no need for an arousal from below. As the Rebbe Flita notes, the Rebbe now goes on to explain how this may be considered Mayan Nukum and what is its connection to the infinite life.
1: Torah, you don't need a great arousal to accomplish what Torah needs to accomplish. because Torah is divine. When you're studying Torah, you're studying the divine mind. So you're doing something godly. You're already doing something Godly. So even if you don't pray with the tremendous intention, kavana, with intensity, with holiness, a sense of holiness, a sense of connection, I'm just studying Torah. I'm focusing on the learning and the understanding of the material and I absorb the material, and I learn it. That's enough to achieve what Torah needs to achieve. It achieves the fireworks. It adds an increased flow of the divine energy in the world of emanation, which has a trickle-down effect in my Torah study. But I don't have to, I don't need a tremendous preparation. I can dive right in. I'm studying Torah. I'm doing something holy. I'm studying Torah's, God's, it's God's material. So I'm doing something God. Prayer, however, is very personal. So to to evoke such a powerful response from Hashem, I have to touch the godliness within me. I have to awaken the godly spark within myself. Something has to touch me very deeply. I have to go completely beyond my ego. I have to go completely transcend, go completely beyond my limitations i have to rise above myself i have to reach so deep within me that something stirs inside the deepest recesses of my soul of my heart of my being and only then can i touch the divine torah i don't need such a deep preparation to touch the divine torah is divine but prayer, it's my words. It's human words. It's not divine. I'm saying human words. So how, how do I connect with the divine? So to touch the divine, it has to touch a very deep place within us. When we touch the divine within ourselves, that prayer is earth-shattering. That prayer rocks the boat. That prayer... That prayer... Creates such a powerful vibration, such a powerful response, that Hashem responds. It becomes personal to person. Person to person call. Because the truth is, at the end of the day, all there is, is Hashem and you. Your conscience. The whole universe dissolves. What's the universe? The universe is just Hashem is projecting this way, that way, the other way. It's all projections. It's not Hashem Himself. It's like holograms, different projections. Hashem's majesty is projecting Himself. It's not Hashem Himself. When the person touches his essence, it's personal. That's when you strip away all the surface and the external. And that's when you touch the essence of Hashem then it's just you and Hashem and nothing else exists the Baal Shemite gives a beautiful powerful parable he says there was once a king who uh, gave everyone in his kingdom all of his subjects an opportunity to meet him in person he says everyone is invited and this and this day I'm going to be sitting on my throne and I'm fully accessible he wasn't going to make it so easy so he created optical illusions when he came close to the palace, you thought there's moats, there are guards, impossible obstacles. The king is sitting, but he's so far away. To get to the king, you have to go through the fire and water and warriors. But it was all an optical illusion. Most people took everything at, take everything in life at face value. What you see is what you get. They were scientists. This is what I see. They walked away. I, I, I can't. It's very nice to go see the king, but it's impossible. This obstacle, the other obstacle, and the last, thats, that's, not, that's not happened. So they gave up, and they went back home. It was one wise man, one subject. He says, wait a minute. The king told us to go speak to him. You think he would ask us to do, something, do the impossible? He told us to go speak to him. He's sitting there, and then it's impossible to get to him. Can't be. I'm going forward. And he goes. And he walks straight. And then he meets the king and he looks back. There's nothing there. There's no moat and there's no obstacle and there's no fire and there's no it's nothing. All there is is the king sitting on his throne. There's nothing else. That's what prayer is. Prayer is when you reach your conscience. Conscience is very personal, it's very individual, it's not formula. Religion is very formulatic, you know, you have to do this and you have to do that, and it's very specific and precise. And Prayer is very personal. It's not just mouthing words, which can also become a religious formula. You're obligated to say these words, and yeah, you are obligated to say these words. But prayer is first and foremost. It's a personal moment. Your conscience, it's you, stripped away from all the surface, all the external. It's you, your innermost being, your heart. Your core, your essence, yourself—the part of you that cares, the part of you that's personal, individual that's beyond words, and you're pouring your heart out to Hashem. And then all there is is you and Hashem, and the whole universe is ours, and all the rules of the universe is ours, and all the laws of the universe is ours. And then the impossible happens. Hashem says, "Of course, you need this. Of course, it's going to get done. What's the question? Who said it's impossible?" It appears to be impossible. And if you play by the rules, it's impossible. If you're superficial, there's nothing I can do to help you. God says, this is it. But if you go beyond that, then all bets are off. It's the power power of prayer.
0: This class is part of the Lessons in Tanya project. More classes available at LessonsInTanya.com.